Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Uh, and Damien, you're up this week. So what are you bringing to the table? I am. So today I brought a piece from the Washington Post called Reimagine Safety that was published earlier this month, actually. Uh, and it was written by the Washington Post's editorial board and is made up of seven parts that are each about sort of various facets of the issue of law enforcement in this country. Um I actually found it because a friend of ours, shout out to Ben, uh, curates this amazing newsletter and it was featured in the latest edition of that. And also the Movement for Black Lives actually posted it on their social media as well, which I think thought was pretty dope. Uh, so I'm mm -hmm. excited for us to talk about it today. And we didn't mention it last week, but Aaron also found this piece from People's World that was published last June called Prison and Police Abolition. Reimagining Public Safety and Liberation. And I know we both have read that piece yeah. uh, and there are a lot of connections. And so Absolutely. I know that that's gonna come up in our conversation as well. So if you are interested, please definitely check that one out. Um, but to give some context on the piece from the Washington Post, like I said, it's broken up into seven parts. Um, so let me share what the individual parts are each about. The first is um, on why police reform is not enough and the why behind needing to rethink public safety. So sort of broad. Um, part two is about how our society defers to calling the police in emergency situations, but really questions how effective that is. Um, part three is a really fascinating piece on the physical look of neighborhoods and what that means in terms of public safety. Part four sort of uh, examines the idea of protecting our most vulnerable communities and peoples. Part five is about focusing on community leaders as part of the solution when it comes to public safety, which I think is so important. Mm -hmm. Part six is a primer on the problems associated with police unions. And the last part summarizes sort of everything and, and talks about how our society has continually funded the status quo in regards to, to law enforcement and a sort of a call to action for us to take a different approach. And so, you know, it was just a, a really fascinating piece and, you know, had a lot of information and a lot of good resources in it, um, a lot of sort of connections to what's happening sort of at the local and national level. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited for us to talk about it today. Um, but I'm going to kick it over to you, my friend. What set out to you about it? Uh, a lot. I think one of the most important parts about this piece is not any particular detail mm -hmm. of it, um, but that it exists. Yeah. Um, and by its existence uh, is continuing to push the edges of what we can, you know, have as an acceptable conversation about reimagining mm -hmm. public safety. Yes. Um, and so... Um, Right. Like they talk about the obvious stuff like police and, um, and and things like that quite a bit. But there's a bunch of stuff here that I think isn't so obvious yeah. for public safety or, or not things that we have connected to public safety very yeah. much. Um, so 
you know, that last piece at the end makes connections between healthcare and public safety mm -hmm. uh, and lead poisoning as a public safety issue, which we've never really reckoned with uh, in, in this country. Yeah. Um, once we found out kind of what lead does um, to people um, and because lead poisoning is tied to um, an increased likelihood of violence later in life. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, and I, I kind of said this, but I think this article is important because it's in the post. Yeah. Um, which is oh, a yeah. huge mainstream publication uh, and is offering suggestions and case studies um, to us on how we can adjust our society to make way for actual public safety. Um, because um, public safety, like, you know, our current system isn't actually public safety. Right. In a lot of ways. Um, and so... Right, like re-examining what that means and how um, we could create some new systems and, um, you know, replace the police doing every little thing for us connected mm -hmm. to public safety, right? Like, you know, in the article they talk about how um, there's a cat up a tree and you call the police yeah. and there's, you know, um, uh, I forget one of the other pieces, but it was like a sort of a minor thing, like a dog, there was a dog um, problem in a yeah. city and then they had chili or police chasing like dogs, dogs. that had gotten loose. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, that's also not really no. like, what they should be doing. So it's, it was like a, this kind of holistic look at, um, at the role that police play in public safety and, and different ways that we could look at public safety. And I think it's so important to have that conversation in something like the post. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciated all of that. Yeah, this idea of connecting public safety to sort of broader topics that are related, right? Like healthcare and uh, you talked about the lead poisoning thing, which I thought was fascinating, right? And and yeah, we haven't really truly reckoned with that. And so mm -hmm. um, I think that was one of the sort of um, pieces that I appreciated a lot. Um, one of the biggest things that stood out to me about this piece is how they showed us the very disconnected dots between policing and public safety and, and liberation. Mm -hmm. You know, it was definitely a thread throughout the piece. Um, they talked a little bit about the notion that policing in our country is fundamentally flawed. Yep. They really delved into how our society has relied too much on the police. And I think they talked at length about how there are better solutions out there in terms of public safety and for our collective liberation. And you just sort of alluded to that. Um, and I and I just really appreciated how they did all of that in this piece. I think it was, I think overall was really well done and, and presented really well, uh, which, you know, it's the post. So you, you come to sort of expect that. Yeah. Um, and I, I know this probably stood out to you too, but I especially love the fact that they included so many links and, and embedded videos so we could learn more about what they were referencing too, right? Like there was one that was about, I think it was uh, the pad, it was Atlanta's sort of pad and, mm -hmm. and sort of it was the following these two um, folks that work in this agency sort of around talking to homeless folks and, and um, there was a situation where a neighbor called them as opposed to the police. Um, because someone was sort of going through their neighborhood and yeah. like pulling on doors and 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 so, but he he the 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 guy who called them said, and I didn't want to call the police, right? Like right. I I wanted to see if we could handle this differently, and so it was nice to be able to read about it, but then also sort of watch this video too. And so I just thought that that was really amazing because I'm you know always just thinking about how people learn and take in take in information, yeah, um, and can see the value of that. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I, I thought that video in particular was really well done. Yeah. One of the other things in that piece that I really liked is like they had these little highlighted uh, sections or underlined. underlined. And they were like underlined yeah. in yellow. And you could click on them and then it would bring out this quote from another piece as like sort of a integrate it into the in line with the story. Yes. I thought that was really cool too. Just you could see a quick quick look at like a short paragraph or or somebody else's thought on what this means and give it a little bit more context or depth. Yeah. Um, which I, I thought that was another cool way to do um, a piece like this. Yeah, to, it was to really bring in other voices. It's really like dynamic. I think is yeah, the word I was yeah, searching yeah. for and just couldn't <laughs> find. Right, really dynamic in terms of these links and and that feature and the and the videos. And so you know, definitely encourage folks to to check it out. You know, I will say that a critique of the piece for me is that I think they could have done more to name the fact that policing is flawed in this country. Like I, yeah. I said that they do, but I don't think they do enough, right? Like they do mention some of the horrific murders of black men by the police like George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks and Daniel Prude. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, they sort of skirt around the fact that policing is fundamentally flawed. Like mm -hmm. I think... I think they could have hit us over the head a little bit more with that fact and the and the history of that in our country. But they do, I think, do a good job of naming how our society has relied too much on the police yeah. to respond to situations and, and circumstances and dilemmas uh, where they aren't necessarily equipped to help. And you, you mentioned that, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the, the cats and the dogs, right? right. Um, but in some cases, how in some of those situations that they respond to, really the police do irreparable harm. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do appreciate that they named that. Um, and I think they do a good job of naming sort of social problems and situations like homelessness and abuse and addiction and, and mental health crises that folks are experiencing, you know, providing examples of that in, in our recent history. And then really asking us the tough question about law enforcement's involvement and what it should be, right? Um, in fact, I think it was the end of part two, I was really compelled by how they ended that piece. You know, they asked and, and sort of pushed us to consider what would actually be the best response in these types of emergencies or situations. And, and then I think throughout the rest of the piece, they really make it clear that maybe the police ain't it. Right. right. Yeah. I think, um, there's so many better responses to some of the concerns that pop up, right? Like, um, they mentioned, and I think this is in the, that might be in the Atlanta part. Um, they talk about uh, that sort of community organization that they formed yes. um, for uh, responding to concerns like people pulling doors on a neighborhood, yep. right? Um, so they talk, in different sections, they talk about these issues like homelessness um, and things that frequently occur with homeless people um, and, and the ways that, right, like police typically interact with somebody who's homeless is well, you're not supposed to be here, so that's trespassing, so I'm going to arrest you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, arresting a homeless person for trespassing isn't helpful to them in the long term. It's At not all. helpful to, like, housed people yeah. <laughs> in the long term. Um, and so I think that's um, that's a big part of it because, you know, that, that person now has court fees and fines and other stuff that most likely they can't pay. Yes, exactly. Um, and so they have a debt to society and then right like i'm going off on a tangent a little bit because this isn't in the article um but then they they in a lot of situations if you don't pay your fine then you have to serve like time in jail yeah right and so that's a different version of a debtor's prison yeah um so there's a lot of this um 
So, but I also think about, right, like what police training looks like and what it has looked like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of departments um, spend hours and hours and hours in firearm training and other drills and not on de-escalation. So if if somebody shows up to a neighborhood because, um, you know, a a police officer shows up to a neighborhood because uh, somebody's raising the suspicion, like, you know, Mm -hmm. Somebody calls because they've never seen that person before, and they're like walking around in a in a in a manner that's odd, or, or pulling on doors, mm-hmm. um, right? Or you know, um, if they show up, de-escalation isn't necessarily the first thing they're going to jump to no. um, for addressing that solution. So um, I think that that that's a big point that that is present here in the piece um but i also love this part where they say um each community coalition would need to be given space to experiment uh, and grace when some of their experiments inevitably fail this will be challenging for the public to watch but it's how we'll get to what works Mm -hmm. we're no stranger to failures in public safety when police fail more most dismally, they maim and murder civilians, mm-hmm. impose second-class citizenship on black Americans, and attack peaceful protesters. Yeah. So that's a, a quote from the piece. Um, and so much of that statement is important, right? Yes. Like, um, what we have isn't working, and so we need to experiment to find what we need. So if that is, um, like, you know, communities coming together to form de-escalation teams um, or sort of... Um, I guess more humane ways of like, maybe it's like homeless shelter outreach programs or yep. something that is like, let's find a different way to respond to this person who um, doesn't have anywhere else to go, right? Uh, and 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 find ways to assist them, yeah. Um, because the root of the issue isn't being addressed by them getting arrested and At having all. court fines and stuff, yeah. um, right? So I think. Um, you know, it's also so much of of what we know as policing, and I think that they talk about this. Maybe they don't, um, but policing exists in this in the way that it does because slaveholders yeah. wanted to empower poor white folks to keep help keep the system of enslavement in place. Um, so they created slave patrols, and then those patrols, over time, over different influences and stuff, evolved into what we have today as policing. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think fundamentally addressing all of that in terms of what is public safety is is uh, crucial. Yeah, I'm fascinated by what you said around, um, and it, it, it's not a new concept to me, but uh, it just kind of landed this idea around um, firearm training versus de-escalation training and right. the amount of hours that police spend doing that, the former uh, and not the latter, right? And um, how do I say this in a way that isn't uh, uh, offensive? Like, you know, I think if you're uh, a person who believes in the humanity of folks, right, uh, you know, and you care about individuals, right, when people are in situations that are difficult, right, like our humanity, right, and the sort of uh, the human response to me would be uh, to come into a situation, Um and treat them with some dignity and respect and find ways to help them, right? And de-escalate maybe, a, you know, a crisis situation, right? And then refer to them, refer them and get them connected to some resources as opposed to coming in hot, right? Uh, so right. coming in guns a blazing, right? And if that's what you're, if, 
and I, yeah, if that's what you've spent hours being trained to do, right, then that's sort of your natural instinct when you show up to a situation, right? It's never, it's not, I shouldn't, you should never say never, right? Uh, it's hardly ever going to be a situation where you come in sort of wanting to assess the situation, right? If you, if yeah. you sense danger and sense an issue, um, you're going to defer to your training. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, f- firearms, guns, um, are tools yeah. that we use as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really are, are unitaskers. They only, they only <laughs> really do one thing. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, um, I think that that is important too, um, in the context of what happens, um, yeah. In these kind of situations and, and, um, right. Like I, this is also a total tangent, but yeah. I think it's, um, there, there was an author and I wish I could name them, but I think it's, I think it was Chekhov, but I might be wrong. Um, there's a Russian author who said, you know, when a gun shows up uh, in a story, it's got to go off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, at some mm. point. And that, you know, that's, um, clearly he's talking about fiction and stuff, but, but that, but it's also connected to human nature, right? Like we use the tools we have at our disposal. And if we spend our time really thinking about one tool, um, that's the, that's what we're going to, uh, jump to and use. Right. Yeah. Uh, Hammers find nails. Yes. Oh, that's a good, uh, Good analogy there. Yeah, this this is also a tangent, but it sort of reminds me of the, you know, you said this idea of, you know, someone calls the police, or we've been talking about this a couple of times, right? This idea of someone calls the police because uh, someone is unfamiliar in your neighborhood, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, any any black person out there uh, sort of knows that, right? Like knows this idea that if I'm in a place, an unfamiliar place, right? I have to think about, right? Uh, the ways in which I'm showing up in that space and what I'm doing, where my hands are, how I'm acting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think about if I go for a run in a, in a neighborhood that is not mine, right? I have to think about uh, what I'm doing, right? And then sometimes I make a conscious decision to turn around, right? And not be in that because I don't want someone to call the police on me because I don't belong here, right? And so, um, and so that's not even me having sort of a maybe experiencing a mental health crisis or something or right. acting erratically, right? That is just sort of yeah. my lived experience, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, that just reminded me of that. Yes, of uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, you know, back to the piece. Another thing that stood out to me is actually something that really infuriated me a bit. Um, it was in the part about police unions, which... I thought was really good as an introduction to the power of police unions and how they stand in the way of real accountability. Um, I've shared here that I'm from Baltimore and and Baltimore was actually named in this section about police unions. Yep. Um, for one, I should give some context. They referenced a 2017 post investigation of almost 2000 police officers that were fired for misconduct since 2006 and how because of appeals to police unions, departments were forced to reinstate 450 of those unions, of those officers, excuse me, 450 of those 2,000, um, which is just atrocious in my it's opinion, a, right? It's a big chunk. Fired big, for yeah. misconduct, but you get reinstated. Um, and they also referenced a New York Times investigation around the role that union contracts play in protecting police officers who violate conduct standards. And they even mentioned, they go so far as to mention that how sometimes those were really egregious violations. And this is where 
Baltimore is referenced. They quote the Baltimore Police Department's commissioner's uh, chief of staff, who said that if George Floyd uh, were to have happened in Baltimore City, they would have not been able to terminate the officers because of state law and ultimately the need for union support in changing that law, which sort of, you know, he was inferring that uh, they wouldn't get that. Um, mm-hmm. Right. And I had I had not seen or, or heard that 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 had been said. You know, it was one of those uh, articles that was linked. Right. So I clicked through and, and read the other article. And, you know, like what? Like to me, that is just simply unacceptable. Right. right. And. And so much uh, about police and policing in general and the lack of accountability is unacceptable to me. Um, And that's probably not even strong enough of a word. Um, But let me get back to the piece. I I think it does a good job in highlighting a number of examples of the problems around police unions and and how if the goal is to make reforms possible, uh, if that's your goal, we, we have to reduce unions' ability to protect police from accountability and address sort of the larger problems of, of collective bargaining agreements and, and union contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of what I just alluded to, like if that's, that's all on sort of one side of the conversation about reform as opposed to abolition. And, you know, I want to be clear here, and, and I think I speak for both of us here, you know, we are on the side of abolition as it relates to, to law enforcement and the police. Yep. Um, which is why I'm really excited to talk about the piece uh, and the article, I should say, that you found in People's World because I think they really get to that more than this post piece did. Yeah, they do. Um, and, you know, I think just jumping back to the the piece from Baltimore for a second, I think uh, I hi- highlighted that too as I was reading because, wow, like what yeah. a realization, right? Right. Um, or something. Um, it's... Uh, wild that somebody would share that publicly yeah directly like that quoted yeah Yeah. i'm not really surprised by that because the only reason why minneapolis was able to fire those police um was because in the wake of philando castile's murder um they passed some laws that increased accountability for officers in some ways right like they required officers to intervene when they saw misconduct and they didn't intervene um but across the country, we have qualified immunity for police officers, yes. which provides them with a lot of cover for misconduct. Uh, and ending qualified immunity is a demand um, from a lot of organizations across the U.S. today. And, yeah. you know, even Ben and Jerry's did an article mm-hmm. about it last summer. Um, but, yeah, I think this. Um, so there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, but jumping back to um, People's World and that piece in there, I think, yeah, they did jump. They they got a little bit more um, to the roots of what things are, uh, which is, you know, I think abolition can sound scary um, to people. And I I think what it is is understanding what the roots of the problem are and then finding alternatives to those yes. things, right? Yes. Um, you know, Angela Davis says that being radical simply means grasping things by the root. Yeah. Um, and... Um, you know, I think that that means finding ways for the community to address what public safety means. Um, and I think the Post article does some good stuff, like in terms of finding alternatives to what policing looks like and finding, um, you know, I think positive examples of what public safety can look like. Yes. Um, and I think People's World, um, the article there pushes the conversation a little bit um, further, yes. right? Like it's, um, they're in the same ballpark, but they're, 
they're playing different positions. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I like my metaphors, folks. Yeah. I got another one coming up soon, <laughs> I think. Um, but, yeah, I, so what, what were some of the things that, that stood out to you? Yeah. Too. Yeah. You know, well, first of all, uh, I, I appreciate that you brought up qualified immunity, immunity because I think it's a concept that was introduced to so many of us last year, right? Like, so yeah. I, I remember sort of hearing that word and I was like, what? Like someone's about to, needs to take me to school. I don't, I don't even know what that is. Right. Um, and so I definitely appreciate Ben and Jerry's and I can't believe you just said Ben and Jerry's. We need to get Ben and Jerry's today, please. Can we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's get some ice cream. All right, great. Uh, because they're out here. If you aren't following Ben and Jerry's on social media, follow them and and you'll really appreciate the work that they're out here doing. Um, to your question about people's world, I yes, I really enjoyed that piece. I think there was so much great stuff there. Um, again, to remind folks, because we didn't sort of uh, say we were going to talk about this last time, the people's world piece is called Prison and Police Abolition, Reimagining Public Safety and Liberation. And it was published uh, back in June of last year, uh, if you want to check it out. I, I, I agree with you. I think this article really hones in on the conversation around abolition versus reform, and it really yep. sort of pushes us to see how abolition is maybe the better and, and more needed response to reimagining public safety. You know, they, they talk about how abolition has to be understood as a process and a call to action, not just empty rhetoric, right? And so, and I think that's sort of their, their, um, their issue with this idea of reform, that, some, that it's really just at this point rhetoric, right? Because it hasn't done anything um, and hasn't made substantive change. Um, yeah. And they, they jump into some of the like reform proposals yes. and, and um, really critique them, right? Like, so, um, eight can't wait campaign yes. that, that came out last summer um that was like let's reduce police brutality and police murders by 72 percent or something like that yeah and it was like well we're, we're not really on board like yeah we're on board with that but you know that the things that you're asking for are uh in some ways uh legitimizing yeah um yes the ways that police already operate yeah. uh, and some of the things wouldn't have saved very um, sort of well-known cases mm -hmm. of police violence and murder, right? Like, At all. Um, you know, New York City banned chokeholds. Banning chokeholds was one of the things on yep. Hate Can't Wait. And New York City banned chokeholds well before Eric Garner was murdered in a chokehold. Yeah. Um, so it, it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot in, in that article too about sort of, critiquing those reform kind of positions and how do we shift reforms into into things that are getting us to a place where we're actually addressing the root issues yep. of things. Absolutely. And that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought up the eight can't wait because, you know, on its face and when it first came out, I think and I think that's why we talk about this week in and week out where we have to be critical about things, right? Yep. Because when it first came out, you're you're reading it and you're like, well yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yes, we should do these things. And this is great. And this is what a great sort of um, recognition of the problem and sort of some solutions here, right? But then you sort of take a critical lens, you know, and look at it and you're like, but wait, no. Like, yeah. why are we just doing this? Why are we settling for this, right? Um, and you're right, like how much of that would not have saved um, folks' lives, right? It makes a real difference. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, and the... The other thing I liked about the People's World article is that, you know, they make it sort of very clear that 
police and and law enforcement are part of the harm, right? Like when we're thinking about being abolitionists, right? We have to be working towards eradicating the conditions that harm black people, right? That's what yep. it means to be abolitionist. Um, and they sort of eloquently point out that, you know, law enforcement and police are part of that harm. And so they posed the question to us of how do we create new forms of public safety and not reproduce forms of harm and violence, right? Like I think they're chief concern and argument is that calls to reform the police are just another way to justify giving the police more funding, expanding their budgets, and legitimizing their function in society. That's sort of a quote, right? And you just mentioned that. Yep. And that is so real. Um, and they make so many other great points too. And so, you know, I, I definitely want to hear what you have to say and what you took away from it. But I think the big thing for me after reading this article is why would we continue to work to reform a system that is set up to harm us? Why would we continue to fund a system that is killing black and brown people at alarming rates? And I was gonna curse there, and getting away with it, right? Like yeah, I yeah. think those are valid questions and sort of push me, and that's why I am pushed to the side of, of abolition. Yeah, I, those are absolutely valid questions. Um, and that's um, one of the reasons why I think this, this piece is important. Um, you know, it's not as in a it's not in a mainstream publication like the Washington Post, um, right? Right, but um, I th you know we have to have we have to have conversations across different places in different places about um, where we can push things, um, and I think you know one of the things about it can't wait that stood out to me when it first came out um, was there was something in there. And I forget what they were now, but there was something in there that looked like, well, that's going to give more funding to departments. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I learned um, in 2014 or 2015 when we were a lot of folks were on the uh, body cam oh, yeah. train. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I was like, well, that and, and some real critiques of those things from the left were, well, that's just going to give it's going to increase surveillance of people yep. in different ways. We're going to be able to, you know, we don't know what that technology is going to be able to do in the future mm -hmm. um, with, you know, facial recognition or whatever. And um, that's giving police departments more funding. Yep. Right. And thereby like legitimizing them and taking away funding from other things that could be more helpful yep. um, to communities. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think th that one, I learned that lesson from folks um, back then. And so that was one of the things that when eight can't wait came out, like felt fishy to me. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and so that's kind of why I raised that too, is like, like you said, we got to critique the things that come, yes. come out um, and think about, you know, what, um, who does that serve? What's it going to do? Right, like, is what's really, it trying to address? Is that really a solution to the problem? Right, to the root problem. To the yeah, um, yes. or is it a band aid? Yeah, um, and sometimes we need band aids, right? Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. But if we're going to spend energy on things, let's right, like, try to cure what's causing the wound mm -hmm. and not slap another band aid on it. Um, so yeah, um, but sort of shifting back a little bit to people's world, but a little bit not. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I love this shift in conversation that happened over the summer, um, 
or one of the things I love about that shift is that we started talking about defunding the police, yep. which, right? Which I think is connected to what I was talking about with A Can't Wait. Yep. Um, and that can mean a whole lot of things to a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of those things are valid. Um, right. But there was a lot of conversation around what defund the police can mean. And people were like, well, we just need to, you know, adjust their funding and like reduce their funding, um, which is a step. Um, but uh, Casey, who's one of the showing up for racial justice organizers in Northern Virginia, um, she said to me once, we're on a train to abolition and defund is one of the stops along the way. Mm. Um, and that. so this is this is a. A um, strategy to get us to where we want to go. Yeah. Um, and so. Um, you know, I really appreciate that shift in conversation because it's allowing things like the piece that we're talking about from the post to be posted. Yes. Um, ah. uh, and then the the thing uh, or the, this article too in People's World, right? Um, we're expanding what the conversation can look like in terms yeah. of reimagining public safety. I think that's super important um, because this article lays out a lot of reasons why police and prisons aren't working. Uh, and the ways that they're founded in control of people from enslavement through to today. Um, and I think one of the other things I really appreciated it, uh, about it is it ended with some great action steps that like oh, people can take yes. that are um, like relatively small and, and accessible. Um, and I think uh, that felt connected to what we try to do here with homework yeah. um, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're going to echo some of those things. Uh, from home and when we talk about homework here too today I'm sure yeah. we might yeah um, well okay so you're talking about homework I think this feels like a good time to maybe move us to application mm -hmm. um, as I was as I was reading these pieces you know I I was thinking a lot about our conversations in previous episodes about hope and about movement work and about this new administration and I can't quite remember which piece it was in, but there was mention of how we can't just rely on our elected government officials and politicians to make the changes we want and need to see around reimagined public safety and for collective liberation to happen. You know, it's going to take all of us to be engaged in both the conversations and the work related to that. And so one piece of application is to just be mindful of that and to keep holding our, our leaders accountable, especially the ones that we elected, um, to what we want to see happen in this country. Another thought around application that I had was in all of the amazing links that are in these pieces, right? And the references to the great programs and organizations, both at the, the local level and nationally, that are out here doing this work. And we sort of reference these along the way. But this work is happening almost everywhere that folks are listening to us uh, from right now, right? They're, they're happening everywhere. And so I really would encourage folks to learn about the work of these great organizations and, and get involved and invested in them in whatever way that feels right to you, um, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I think one of the things, um, those all that's all 100% agree. Um, one, another thing I thought about was specifically like, what are the cities that we live in do? Yes. Right. Um, so like, you know, the city that we live in, um, what are we doing for public safety outside of contracting more police with the county? Because mm -hmm. um, we actually don't have a city police department. Right. Um, and there was a study done on that, I think, um, in the last year or two. Yeah. Time is time is an what illusion is at this point. Yeah. Um, and and the, I think the study came back and said, based on the needs of the city, we don't need our own department, um, which I, 
I think I appreciated. Um, right. So, but I think understanding what public safety is and how our city budgets are handling that, I think is, is hugely important. Um, you know, I was talking to a, an organizer, um, locally years ago now. Um, and one of the towns down the road has their own department and half of the city budget goes to the police department. Yes. And it's like, well, what, you know, what, 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 what else could some of that money be used for, um, effectively? Right. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, linking up with organizations and the, the people that are doing this work is, is super crucial. Well, I think we should send them our podcast and we should send them this post piece, right? Because again, so much of what I think it does really well is um, talk about the other facets of what public safety are, right? right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, this idea of healthcare and this idea of sort of, we didn't really talk too much about that, the, the I was gonna say chapter, the part of that piece that was about sort of landscape and, uh, right, mm-hmm. and the role that that plays in, you know, um, public safety. Um, and so if you're spending half of your, wow, half of your budget, I, I remember us talking about that a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they need to do do some some listening to us and some, <laughs> some reading, I might say. Um, all right, so you mentioned homework. Let's shift to homework. You know, I think my homework is actually inspired by uh, something I read in that People's World piece on prison systems and abolition and reimagining public safety and, mm-hmm. and liberation. It mentioned Alex Vital's book, The End of Policing. And uh, that book was actually published a few years ago, uh, but it came sort of back into focus last year with everything that happened in, in 2020. And it was in 2020 that that was the first time I actually heard about the book. Um, Basically, uh, The End of Policing um, examines the flaws of reformist policing and proposes alternatives to policing. And I think given our conversation today and in reading these pieces, right, it just it sort of reminded me uh, that last year I said, oh, I want to read that book. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, my my homework is to do just that. I want to read that book. I invite folks to do it uh, with me. Um, I'm going to invite you to do it, too, because maybe Actually, as I'm talking about this, maybe I think we should bring it to the table in one of our future episodes. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, I think uh, the end of policing has been on my list for a while now. Oh, great. Um, you're right. It, it came. It, uh, it got a lot of publicity. I think last summer. Yes. Um, and it was actually um, published, or it was offered for free as an ebook by the publisher one month. Um, so I was able to snatch it. Nice. Um, and have a copy of it that I just haven't gotten to yet because yeah. there's so many things to read. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, 100% agree with that for a homework. Um, and two other things that uh, this these don't sound like two other things. I'm looking at my notes here and there's a long list of things. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's two things in the big picture. The first is to learn some more about abolition and all of its forms. Yes. Um, because I think that like I said before, I think abolition can sound scary mm-hmm. um, because we're so it's hard to imagine um, things beyond what we know in yes. terms of like social structures. Um, and so I think this piece from Washington Post sort of steered away from abolition yes. um, a little bit, though they mentioned some stuff that is part of what could replace policing. Um, but Maryam Kaba wrote um, and released a book that I still want to read called We Do This Till We Free Us. Um, and yeah. that, that has a lot in it about abolition. And I think I mentioned it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when, when so. we talked about um, um, Adrian Marie Brown's book. Oh, I think yes, I mentioned it then. Um, 
and then Angela Davis was mentioned before. Uh, she's mentioned in the People's World piece uh, and quoted from a book that she wrote. She's been writing and doing work around prison abolition for decades now. Um, and one of her books on the subject is called Are Prisons Obsolete? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been out for a while. So that's another piece of homework that I, um, I suggest. And then... Um, Critical Resistance is an organization that she co-founded with uh, Ruth Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who is another um, sort of leading abolitionist figure, um, and uh, another person whose name eludes me right now, and I didn't write it down, so my apologies um, to that other important person in, in creating Critical Resistance. Um, but they're an organization working toward uh, ending the prison industrial complex and yeah. all of its sort of uh, tentacles. Um, and then... Last piece on abolition for right now, there's lots out there, um, is Mm defundpolice.org, which was co-created by a whole bunch of great organizations, including the Movement for Black Lives and and several others. Um, So that's a lot to count as just one thing, but I'm going to do it. You are. um, Because I just did. (laughs) Uh, And then the second one to check out that I think is... um, also really interesting because we've I've mentioned it and it's mentioned a little bit in both of these articles I think is the history of policing yeah right so NPR has a podcast called through line yeah um, where they talk about history and how it is influenced in how it influences today right mm-hmm. um, and so one of them one of the episodes they do is on the history of policing um, and it's called American police Um, And it lays out a lot about what I mentioned about the connection between slave patrols and our modern day police departments. And it's really um, informative and compelling and uh, really great um, podcast in general. So shout out to the through line team. Um, Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that, that's my homework, which is, it sounds like a lot. So my apologies out there, folks. I <laughs> well, no, I overdid think, it. I think what it speaks to is this idea that I, I think we have a lot of sort of um, passion around this topic and, and think that this is so important, especially as it relates to um, our collective liberation, right? And so mm-hmm. um, this is important stuff. And there's a lot out there, a lot of great resources and a lot of folks out there doing great work. Um, and so, you know, to we want to be educated about these things and know what we're talking about. So I, I love it. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, all right, Aaron. Well, you are up. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? So uh, next week, um, I'm bringing a documentary called Crip Camp. Uh, and it's all about a summer camp that was uh, in upstate New York for teenagers with disabilities um, and how that camp transformed the lives of the teens who were there, uh, but also led to disability rights movement work in the U.S. Oh. Um, and so, honestly, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, uh, but I've heard really good things about it, and I'm looking forward to learning more about the story of disability rights um, and the, that movement in the United States. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, have not, I had not heard of the documentary, so I just watched the trailer uh, right before we started to record today, folks. Um, and it looks amazing. It looks like the Obamas are involved in it some way. Uh, and yeah, they have a as, production agreement with Netflix. And I think this was one of the one, one of, of the one of the films that okay. they did. So you know, I, I was I was game as soon as I saw uh, Barack and Michelle's name uh, <laughs> on the screen. But it it looks really compelling, and so I'm with you. I'm excited to to watch it and to talk about it next week. Yeah. Um, all right. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what we want you to do. Please subscribe, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life, and of course, follow us on social media. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week.